listeners, welcome back to the Hitting Rock Middle podcast. I'm your host, Sally Holder. And with me today, we have the founder of Millie Milk. Her name is Mayaka LeBlanc, and she founded this company out of a need for a better alternative to the milks on the market for her son. Millie Milk is the first plant-based freeze-dried milk, and it is poised to be this generation's modern milk. It is amazing what she has done. She is a woman of color and is one of a very small number of women who has ever, you guys, ever raised over a million dollars in funding for her company. So I emphasize ever because that is insane that there are not more women out there. So we are so excited to have her here breaking the mold for us and talking all about how she's done that. According to Project Diane, as of 2021, only 93 Black women and 58 Latina women have ever raised over a million dollars of investment. Embarrassingly small. So while Mayaka is passionate about her product, she is also passionate about increasing visibility, resources, funding, and access to minority female founders. So you guys obviously can see the synergy between my passion and hers and why we knew we had to immediately have her on the Hitting Rock Metal podcast. I cannot wait for you guys to meet her. So Mayaka, we are so excited that you're here. Thank you, Sally. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to speak to you. So tell us all about your journey into entrepreneurship and you know, getting started with this company, it's, it started out of a need for a better alternative. So what was that need that your son faced, um, you know, as he was coming along? Yeah. So my path has been untraditional. I'm a 42 year old (laughs) founder. So I had a whole career before this. Um, I had a career in finance until I decided take the plunge, um, be a founder, an entrepreneur. And it was truly inspired out of a need, as you mentioned. My son, Jack, was born with a severe intolerance to dairy. And once we figured that out, I had to find an alternative for him. And I was actually drinking plant-based milk at the time. I'd been drinking plant-based milk since college. I was one of the first people drinking the traditional plant-based milk, but it wasn't until I needed to give it to my little son that I turned over the carton and read the label. And when I did, I was pretty horrified. And I went down a rabbit hole of understanding what's in the current cartons that you get at the grocery store. And unfortunately, they are usually made with only 2% of the actual ingredient they claim to be made of. So for example, if it's almond milk, it might have seven or nine nuts in that whole carton. And the rest is oils, gums, fillers, junk I did not want to give to my fresh little baby or my family. So out of a need and a stubbornness, I said, I'll just make this milk myself. And I'm super glad I did because I discovered two really important things. Um, Have you ever made plant-based milk yourself or know how to do that? (laughs) I have not. I I thus far have just been, you know, the one that goes and buys the almond milk at the grocery store thinking it is something that is extraordinarily healthy and I'm learning as I go here. Yeah, that was my journey too. Um, 
when I learned that they weren't as healthy or clean that I would like, then that's when I decided to make it myself. And I also learned some things of like why people like you aren't making it today. So the first thing is when you do make it yourself, you find out that it is truly extraordinary tasting. Like it doesn't taste like the cartons. It actually tastes like the ingredients it's made of and it's creamy and it's fresh and it's delicious. But you will also learn when you make your own plant-based milk that it is a cumbersome, long, messy chore. And that's why people aren't making it today for their needs. And um, how it's made, just really quickly, if you've never made it, is you have to buy all the ingredients yourself. Remember to soak them overnight. Pull out your blender, blend it together in a blender, then hand squeeze it through a mesh nut bag, and then find bottles to put it in, and then clean up the blender and all the mess. So that's why people don't make it today for their 365 milk needs. It's too time consuming. So I did that for a bit. And then I shamefully went back to the cartons for a period of time. But what I was looking for and coming from a background of finance, I kept looking at the market and seeing this explosion of plant-based products out there, right? Tons of innovation happening in like Beyond Burgers and the meat space and the functional beverage space. But I didn't see any new innovation happening in the plant-based milk carton space. There were tons of brands coming to market, but they were all derivatives of each other. They were still not high quality. They didn't taste good. And then finally, after being frustrated enough, I said to myself and my co-founder, who's my husband, I think we can do better. And that's what we set about to do with Millie is figure out a way to give people fresh, really tasty, clean plant-based milk at home conveniently. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I am sure our listeners are all thinking the exact same thing that I am, which is typically the last question I would be asking, but I already want to ask it, which is where can we oh, go okay. any milk right now? Because... <laughs> What's a replacement <laughs> currently my refrigerator <laughs> this moment? So, so where is located in stores? Well, you can, we don't sell through grocery stores yet. We want, we're a direct to consumer company. We sort of think of ourselves as the modern milk human or milkman, um, where you can have milk delivered, our milk delivered directly to your door whenever you need it. You can buy it a la carte or you can sign up for a subscription, but it's conveniently delivered to you. Even better. Yeah. I yeah. don't want to insert anything anyway. So Exactly. I think most people have become accustomed to deliveries, especially if consumer staples, something that you have consistently. So it made a lot of sense. Just get it direct, delivered directly to you. Amazing. Well, I yeah. cannot wait to try it, truly. So I'm sure the journey to creating your own plant-based milk was easy, right? I I cannot even imagine <laughs> The logistics, the, you know, being able to contact and deal with the FDA and all kinds of things that you must have to go through in order to be able to put something like this on the market. So tell us your story about going then from this idea to its actual functional creation. Oh, great question. And 
I would not say it's easy. <laughs> I think it takes, it takes um, a lot of people and a great team, I would say. And I, I'm very lucky to have had great people that we've partnered with along the way because it has been a journey. We actually are what I call a COVID baby. We started building this in January of 2020 and then the world shut down. So we truly built it and we just launched um, all during a really challenging time. Um, but to go from an idea to where we are today, we I'm very fortunate to have a co-founder that has a lot of experience in the food industry. He comes from the coffee industry, which we can talk about later, but that was really helpful in putting the puzzle pieces together of how do you get from an idea of making a food product to actually having a manufacturer, manufacturer packaging product ready to sell. But where we started first is when you have a food idea that you make in your kitchen, as I was making homemade milk, to scale that, you really need help from food scientists to help you take a small recipe idea and then scale it to a larger scale where it's effective. So we worked with really great, um, smart chefs and food scientists to conceptualize Millie in a very unique way. Um, we think of ourselves as differentiated in four very unique ways that we can talk about a little bit later. But they helped us scale up our, really create the right prototypes of milk. We, we experimented, I think we went through 468 different iterations to land on the four milks that we conceptualized today. Um, yeah. So we did a lot of work in a lot of 468. Um, yes. You're tweaking, right? It's really incredible when you have a recipe, you have to create one that works for a very broad audience. So you have to get the mouthfeel all of that right. Helping us think through and vet our supply chain. Where are you sourcing those ingredients? Are they sustainably sourced? Once you have the formula, who are the right co-manufacturers to work with to help you produce the milk? What sort of packaging makes the most sense? Oh, and the co-manufacturing, all the testing that you mentioned that you need to go through and scaling to make a really quality food safe product. Finding the right packaging building your website, all of that, you sort of have to take one step at a time, work with the right food scientists, work with a great programming tech team and beyond. Yeah, I hope um, that answered it. But it's a lot of steps. And I would say as a founder, the advice I'd give to anyone that has an idea but are afraid to get started is do a lot of research first before you jump um, and then take it one step at a time. It's really each step sort of builds on the next. Hey listeners, we are so excited to share that the fourth annual Brim Retreat will be taking place in Austin, Texas. This is the premier event for female entrepreneurs that are ready to take their business to the next level. Taking place from April 30th through May 3rd, this three-day event is led by expert business coach Sally Holder and perfectly combines opportunities to connect, learn from the best across industries, and fill your cup with exclusive experiences and group activities. This is your chance to join 150 other phenomenal entrepreneurs and get away from the distractions of everyday life. Give yourself the dedicated time, space, and experiences that will enable you to come back and create massive leaps in your business. So are you ready to have your aha moment in Austin with The Brim? To grab your ticket or learn more, visit us at growwiththebrim.com. But hurry, because this event will sell out. 
One thing that I always end up hearing, whether they're producing, you know, a food product or whether they're even producing clothing, today I always hear a lot of founders talk about how difficult it is to find worthwhile partners and to vet those partners. I'm curious what process you took in order to determine this was the right partner for you for production, supply chain. You know, how did you know that they were the one? Um you know, you were mentioning research. In that research, did it also include, you know, um, kind of, I guess, tapping into other founders and asking them who they were using or um, were much of these kind of new relationships you were developing? Absolutely. Um, I think some of it was tapping into my network of founders. Um, It's so important to have a community of founders around you because, they're at different stages of their growth and they've worked through a lot of this, especially if they, you have founders that are in akin industries, but there's a plethora of resources that most are super generous and will open the doors to you. So like, for example, we didn't know this founder, but I thought they were incredible. Seed Probiotics, um, mm-hmm. they had decided to make their packaging open source because it's really sustainable. We were able to leverage that and say, oh, this is a great packaging company. It's backyard compostable, sustainable. Let's work with, with this, these folks on packaging. Um, same thing with our tech team. We, we found them through, um, mutual founders, but also my co-founder had worked with them in the past on another project. Um, as far as, co-manufacturers. We really leveraged um, our food scientists and advisors. Um, we worked with an incredible team, Bill Amutis and Joe Haslip, that have tr- like 30, 40 years of experience in the industry that helped us. They actually came with us often to these manufacturers and kicked the tires with us, vetted it. And they have a tremendous amount of industry experience that was helpful, but it was also helpful in opening doors, right? When you have a founder or a resource that can make a warm intro in a time of COVID when nobody was taking on new clients, um, it was really helpful. Yeah, that's, I love that. That's giving all kinds of listeners just lots of opportunity and direction to, to realize they probably have a lot of opportunity within the network that they currently have, but, you know, being able to reach out and leverage someone else's network that's probably within one degree of separation of you is, is extraordinarily valuable too. You've got to work your network. (laughs) That's one of the most important things. Work your network and continue to grow that network. It'll serve you well and the company. So your husband, you were saying, comes from the specialty coffee industry. Talk about his knowledge of the supply chain then and product innovation and manufacturing. Kind of what has his role been within the company? And, um, you know, I'm so curious. It seems like such a symbiotic relationship between coffee and milk. Um, What an interesting thing that, you know... I just love how there's always a through thread, right, that exists between other people's careers and how it ends up taking them into what I believe they're meant to do. Um, and yeah, it's fascinating. But you hit it on the nose. It's it's interesting. I, I imagine you speak to so many founders that 
you wouldn't, when you're in it at the beginning of your career, you would never imagine where you end up. But there's a, there's a, there's a reason, like there's a through thread of how you got here. And yes, his experience was invaluable for all the reasons we talked about a little bit earlier that his experience with supply chain manufacturing, it was incredibly helpful. But I actually think the industry he came from, specialty coffee, is really akin to what we're doing with Millie today. Um, and there's an analogy that I think is really helpful. Um, the specialty coffee industry has gone through multiple waves. I'd say three waves. The first one, and I'm dating myself a little bit, was the first wave of coffee was you would get coffee in a can, like Folgers can at the grocery store, and it was functional and it got the job done. The next wave was the Starbucks and the Dunkin' Donuts who like elevated the experience and the quality and they popularized having coffee as a ritual experience. And then the third wave of specialty coffee shops came along and they really focused on quality. Where are we getting our ingredients? Is it ethically and sustainably sourced? Are they quality ingredients? How do you roast it to get the best taste and quality out of it? And so that experience that he had is very much transferable to Millie. So he's been very helpful with, look, we both do everything. I would say when you're a startup, you have to wear many hats, but he was a big part in developing the operations and helping us through that journey of like creating the right supply chain, right manufacturing partners, all the way through to packaging and getting it from this raw ingredient into the package. And a big part of like our ethos and value of the company comes from the two of us, right? A mom trying to feed her family quality, um, someone with his experience trying to create quality. And that's where we came up with the four things that we think really differentiate Millie. Yes. So tell me what those are. And obviously I see you then as, as the third wave within milk as well. Yes. It yes. translates so beautifully into that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So similar exactly to finish that off is like, you know, the cartons really are similar to the can. That's the first wave. Millie is that huge as you, I'll use your words, the future of modern milk, which is how do we give people that quality freshness but not compromising on convenience. And that's really how we conceptualize Millie to be differentiated. We wanted to focus on four very important things. Um, I'm sure you as a mom understand, number one, you have to make a tasty food product, right? Especially in the home, if you want to give it to a kid. <laughs> if it's not tasty, they're not drinking it. And quite frankly, I don't want to drink it either, right? Um, I think one of the big differentiators for Millie is we wanted you to be able to it to enhance anything that you put it in, but also you could drink it on its own and it'll be a really tasty be- beverage. So we focused on using 100% organic, whole, real, quality ingredients. And then we take that milk and we make that milk. And then through the second component that really differentiates us, we use the technology of freeze drying to suspend that milk at its peak flavor and freshness so that you're getting the best quality milk as though you made it that day. And what we do is we take the milk once it's freeze dried and we gently mill that product. 
So all you have to do is take our freeze-dried uh, milt product, add a little water to it and shake. And then you easily, quickly, conveniently, that's the third thing, have fresh milk as though you made it yourself that day. Yeah. Amazing. And then, yeah. And the last thing I would say is we make it planet friendly um, and sustainable. One of the things that are a big passion for my husband and I is in today's day and age, we feel super strongly that any company launching in 2020, 2021 or beyond really needs to be thoughtful and focused on our footprint. So all along the way, we thought we tried to be really considerate and conscious about what type of company we're going to be. So everything from our ethically and responsibly sourced ingredients or our packaging, which is backyard compostable, reusable glass bottle or production process are all really thoughtful and sustainable. And we've quantified that. We've actually done the studies around it as well. That is amazing. Um, But what I love as well is your ability to identify that on the podcast and tell everyone about it. Um, And I think that, you know, something we're always talking with founders about is that you can't build it and they will come, right? And having an excellent product will not thereby then, you know, penetrate the market and you will suddenly see massive sales. And I wish it were that way, but unfortunately it's not. And, but being able to understand how you are better and how you stand out in the marketplace and the need that you serve and the convenience that you provide, um, that is just a beautiful, succinct way of, um, you know, (laughs) I'll, I'll even say of even providing other people a sales pitch, right. Of why they should buy your (laughs) product versus someone else's. And I hope our listeners are realizing that, that, um, that took a lot of work and effort to, to determine what those four qualities are. And I'm sure it did. It did. And I think that's important for any founder is understanding your value proposition to the customer. Because at the end of the day, it's you hit it on the nose. There's a lot of amazing products, but if they're not filling a need or it's not articulated well, you might miss the mark. So we did spend some time around that. And listen, on our website, it's even more eloquent. We say we make it yummier, fresher, easier, greener. It's more quippy. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a bit more long-winded, but we had to identify what were things that were missing that we believed we could solve for. And it's important to do that. And then you understand your values so that if anything comes along in your journey that might compromise on that, you really have these brand pillars that you'll stick to and live by. Absolutely. And, you know, I love that I can already tell how completely attached you are to those and that using (laughs) them as a filter through which every decision is made as well, right? The decision about embracing packaging, the decisions made about, you know, your supply chain and the footprint. Um, And it does make the direction, believe me, (laughs) easier probably to decide because, you have parameters that you've already created. And so when everyone's coming at you with a million things saying, you should do this, you should do that, and you should take this direction, you have something that is yours, that you understand and value above all else and can help you determine whether or not those are actually shoulds for you. Um, And to me, that's why it is so valuable to have those 
brand pillars and the understanding of what the values are. So that's exactly um, it. That's exactly it. You'll get lost along the way if you don't. Absolutely. Lost, overwhelmed, stuck, all the things that we hear way too often. Um, So the other part of your incredible work is that you are not only keeping all of the resources to yourself that you have worked so hard to, you know, create, but you want other women to be able to understand how they too can find investments for their ideas and uh, their companies. So what would you say to females right now who are listening that are looking for investors for their idea or company? So I still think I'm looking for that. (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> I'm always like, I'm currently in a raise myself. I'm always looking for resources, but I've been fortunate to come across quite a few. I've been fortunate having worked in finance to have a little bit of an understanding of where to start. But you started the show talking about a club that I belong to. And it's a club that I I learned about it post reaching that million dollar hurdle. And it was quite painful. It's not a club I want to belong to. I'd like to see those numbers go away entirely because they're just thousands and thousands of um, women of color funded over a million dollars. Um, but I do think that when you're first starting a company as a woman of color, often people talk about having their friends and family around. Well, for many communities of color or minorities, we don't have these big communities or Rolodexes of family members and friends with cash. So you have to start scrappy and then build up, tear up in your funding. So the first place I would start is start doing some research on grants. Grants are really important. That's money you can tap into. And what I'd love to do, Sally, if you're open to it, is I'd love to follow up with an email. Maybe we can put it in the show notes, some of the places, resources that people can go, because I don't think I can list all of them here. I would or I can't think that. of all of them at the top of my head. But I do think there's some great grants like the Amber Grant, the SoCal Grant, Visa, Amex, government, cities, municipalities have grants for minority female founders or just female founders in general, start there. That's money that you don't have to give up equity for. Now, it's not always big money, but it'll help you with the research phase and getting started. And then from there, we started talking about it. You got to tap into communities because like I mentioned, generally speaking, founders of color don't have these massive communities of wealth. So how do you tap into those circles? It's important to belong to founder communities. So there are um, founder communities that focus on minorities. Um, a few are Brain t- Brain Trust Founder Studio, ran by Kendra. Um, she's great. Blavity.org, Afrotech, the We Suite, Female Founders Collective. There's quite a few. We'll put them in the show notes that are focus on um, minority female founders or just female founders. Now, what's important about those communities, one, they give you an area to collaborate and meet other founders that might give you access to resources, but they also have support systems around um, funding. And I've found, I've been lucky, I've found that there have been female founders that are willing to open their cap table and share some of their investors with me. 
It's not a zero-sum game, right? So sharing those investors are really helpful. And I feel the same way. Anytime I can, if I have an investor that is interested in another idea, I always send them to other founders as well. Um, and then the last one I would say are there are incubators. If you want to go that route, family offices or angel investment platforms that you can look into and we'll put some in the notes for you. But that's where I'd start. Start with grants, tap into the right communities, build that network of communities, and then focus on... I would focus on minority-focused family offices, angel investment platforms, or incubators. Yeah, I love that. And and that's yeah. what we do as well at the brim at my company, right? right. We have the revenue accelerator. And our intention is not only to give you the tools that will help you right build out all of the foundational pieces of your business, but also to to get the 60 plus other female founders in there, just as you said, to That's share with exactly. one another. And they absolutely do. And I've seen the incredible power that women can create when we are working together. Um, it's it's remarkable. It is. It really is. And I think that's sort of exactly the work you're doing is what helps people because you then have a roadmap. I think that's the most challenging thing is without that roadmap, it feels really overwhelming. How do I get to a million or how do I get to a hundred thousand, whatever your business needs are. And I do think companies like yours give people that roadmap. Yeah, Yeah. I know. I always say if it's been done before, you can do it as well. And there are, you know, whatever you want to refer to, there are breadcrumbs along the way that those left that you can be able to pick up and follow or, um, yeah, what some people say, footprints in the sand. Um, There is. And I always say it takes a village, right? It takes a village to raise a baby. Well, it takes a village to raise a baby company too. Um, And I think if you think of it that way, another thing that I, especially in today's environment, keep um, advising women I'm currently around myself is like, put your hand up and ask for help. Like we're all tough cookies and we're getting it done, but it's remarkable when I raise my hand and I'm like, help, I need support with X. Or do you have anyone that this would be a good investment for? That was hard for me. It was, was just really hard say, for me. Hard. <laughs> it's incredibly hard to be vulnerable and be like, I would love your help. You feel so much like you're coming hat in hand. That was like a big hurdle for me to get through. I have to say, even someone who comes from an industry of finance, like I could ask for anything, but it was me asking on behalf of a big company. When it's your baby and your idea, you're like, hey, will you take a look at this? And you feel so sheepish, but you have to. Your company, your investors need you to be. They need you to step up and say, I need support. Um, And that's, I think, the biggest lesson I'm learning. I'm still learning it. (laughs) I'm trying to get better at that. But I have more and more stood up and said, help, I need support. I am so glad you brought that up. I actually was just leading a workshop in Omaha, Nebraska, and we were talking about the difficulty that women face, um, especially because for whatever reason, you know, my theory is that women are, you know, uh, lauded when they are um, quote unquote strong and did it all on their own and didn't need any help and good on you. But no one ever has that same attitude when it comes to men, right? They're not talking about like, good for you. You did it all on your own. That 
even when I say it out loud, you can realize that's not a phrase that they use towards men because again, I, I don't know. That's just not a societal thing. But when yeah. women do it, we are forced to believe or society wants us to believe that if we could just do it completely on our own solo, that we were going to somehow win this like badge of honor. Like I keep picturing like the Girl Scout badges of like, I earned right. my, I did it completely alone badge. I did it, you know, without any help badge. And no one's coming along to give you those. So you might as well ask for the help. Oh, it's imperative. Um, I was recently at a female founder dinner where we, it's sort of a salon style dinner that I host with other female founders. And it's brilliant because we can talk about these things openly and vulnerably. And I shared this story. It's not my story. It's another um, founder that I know. She was talking about her husband, the difference between men and women and how they think about approaching asking for help. Her husband's a very successful man in finance. He needed something done without hesitation, picks up the phone and he's like, hey, Bob, I'm making up these names, but like, Bob, uh, tomorrow at the conference, will you point out how well we did in this quarter on stage? Because it would be poor taste for me to do it, but I really need you to point it out. Cool? Cool. Also, so-and-so CEO is going to be there. Can you give me a soft intro? Great. Thank you. Bye. Click. There was no, like, can you do me this huge favor? Can I take you to lunch to ask for this advice? Pick your brain, do this. It was like, direct to the point. I need this. I need that. Cool. Thanks. Bye. I think women need to channel a bit of that and get in your own voice, but get more clear and direct about it. When And I've tried to embrace that when women, women come to me for help, when I see they're kind of struggling to ask because they feel like nervous or I just say, how can I help? Just, yeah. How can I be helpful? If I can't, maybe I know someone who can. Still not easy. I've made tons of mistakes by not just standing up and being direct with what I need, but it's a muscle. I'm I'm working on it. I'm exercising it. It's but yeah, so I do true. think that we need to change that mindset or shift that mindset in ourselves and hopefully the future generations. You don't get that badge. Nobody's handing out the sachets or badges of honor for doing it alone. Oh, I love that story. What a great one. It definitely right? puts it in perspective too. And and I can And I'm sure you know men like that, right? Or you've heard oh. them Yes. Yes. I yes, worked with them for decades. Absolutely. Um, certainly in the practice of law, they were great at it, right? Asking for help. But right. again, even even when I was practicing, I, I can still reflect back and say how little I asked for help. And yeah, almost never. So I am still a work in progress too, um, for sure. <laughs> we all have, right? have some whip, but for sure. Um, so I I could sit here and talk to you all day because I, I just love your perspective on the finance side. And you've given our listeners some really great structure around, you know, presenting themselves unique to the market and, you know, what information that they need to use to present themselves and stand out also steps to be able to gain additional funding um, and even a process of people to go through if they have a food-based product. So incredibly valuable information. Um, I am so excited about the future of your business. So I'm wondering, you know, 
how do you think the kind of cultural movement that we're in at this point, right, plays a part in, you know, how you've set up and structured this company um, and you kind of where you see it going from here? You know, I'm really curious about what is the destination for Millie Milk? Oh, well, thank you. Um, I think the cultural movement of the present is really sort of giving us the perfect, I guess you say, tailwinds <laughs> to move forward into the future. I believe this generation, I would say it's not limited to millennials and Zers. I'm an exer myself. I think boomers in this time, right? In this time that we're in right now, especially coming out of the pandemic, more and more we're focused on our health, right? You hear all the time health as well. And how do we achieve that with what we're putting in our bodies, how we're feeding ourselves, how we're taking care of ourselves? So I think our generation is so much more focused on quality, but not compromising on convenience because more and more, I think we're just getting busier and busier, but we do want it all. We want that fresh. We want that quality. You're seeing it the industry, the food industry shift tremendously from where packaged, convenient, fast food, the first wave, we're talking about a lot of waves today, but yeah. I would say that first innovation wave, and right. evolution. Yeah. Evolution. The first wave from, you know, from the forties and fifties, the food industry focused on convenience, canned, packaged food. But we now know what they didn't think about was how do you give convenience food nutritiously, right? So I believe this new generation, this time, and where the future of food is going is not giving up on convenience. We need that. But how do we leverage technology um, to be able to give people fresh, really nutrient-dense, super tasty, right? You can't compromise on taste, food, but conveniently. And that's where Millie is going. We see ourselves as a food innovation company. And for me, the mission is always sort of the mission of the mother's love is I want to be able to give people the best quality food with high integrity, high vibration, great food, but conveniently. And we can do that today. We have the technology to do it. It just takes a little bit more innovation and thinking to get there. Oh, I yeah. love that. You know, it, it we are just talking about waves, but it's making me think that for so long, right, we we swung the pendulum from, you know, no convenience to ultimate convenience and and yeah. no health. And then now it is, you know, landing somewhere back in the four, five, and six of wait a minute, it, it's not either or, it can be and both. And how can we make it and both? Oh, that's so exactly what we talk about internally a lot is like, it doesn't have to be this binary choice, right? You want abundance. You want that and, right? Yeah. You don't want to compromise. It can be tasty and healthy. It can be convenient and easy, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, you can see I'm super passionate about it. I live it, breathe it. I could talk about it. 24 seven. I know exactly we, have a time, we have a time frame to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I 
love that. Um, I really appreciate you being here. I'm closing out the door for my dogs who are going crazy <laughs> at the moment. So hopefully you guys well, that's aren't that's the that. that's the time stamp, right? They're saying right. it's time to bring land this plane, right? Yes, time to land the plane. So thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you and and sharing all of the beautiful concepts with us that you did today. I know our listeners are going to take away a ton from this episode. So they're immediately want to do business with you. Where can they follow you, get in touch with you, all of the things? Well, you can follow us on Instagram or TikTok at at Millie Milk. And that's M-I-L-L-I-M-Y-L-K. Milk with a Y because it's alternative. Same thing for the website. It's milliemilk.com. And that's where you can find us and pick up a starter kit and try it out for yourself. I I know so many of our listeners are going to be running to their computers. I am immediately when I'm getting off. Cannot wait to try it. Thank you again. I appreciate your time. It was such a pleasure. Um, Thank you. And- Thank you listeners for listening to another episode of the Hitting Rock Metal podcast. Again, I hope this made your day and your life just a little bit better. 